Hi, this is Terry Dismore, and you're listening to the Quiz the Diz podcast. Terry brings years of experience in consulting, management, leadership, and life. In this podcast, Terry answers questions about these topics, bringing wisdom from a kingdom perspective. Our website is quizthediz.com. Now here's the Diz. Hey, have I got some good news for you today. It sure is good to talk to you once again, and uh, we are in the middle of several podcasts here where we're talking about deception, about why we believe what we believe, and coming up next week, I'm going to start with 10 ideas I have for things that we should all agree on as citizens of the United States. That's coming up next week. But last week at the end of the podcast, I started talking a little bit about the Electoral College, and it made me think of a conversation I had with a young woman from our church. As a matter of fact, she's our church daughter. She sits with us at church every Sunday, and we're from different backgrounds, different races, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But she has different ideas on some things. But we both believe in Jesus, and we both believe in the kingdom of God. So We have that to agree on. But after the 2020 election, she said to me, I think they ought to abolish the Electoral College. I'm like, okay, well, do you know why there is one? And she said, no, I don't. And not really. You know, and she's she's an educated woman. She's very smart. She runs businesses. And I love hanging around her. But she didn't know the answer to that question. So I said, okay, let me ask you this question. You have an office that you run in Southern California right now, right? And she goes, yep, sure do. I said, and do you like the way that they run things in California? She's like, oh, good Lord, no. I don't like it at all. Too much meddling in everything that we do. And I said, imagine that everywhere, that you had the ability of California, Los Angeles specifically, San Francisco too, Chicago, and New York to determine who's going to be our national leadership, our president and vice president every four years. Do you have any idea how bad that would be? And she's like, I never thought of that before. And she's right. She probably never had. She's uh, about 20 years younger than my wife and I, and she wasn't taught these things. Now, we still had a class called civics when we were in school, but they don't teach that much anymore because it's not that interesting to be a citizen. It's not that, you know, oh, how fascinating is that? It's not that big of a deal. And yet it's a promise that has come to us down through the years through all the fighting that we've had in our wars that we've had ever since the Revolutionary War. The promise has been the ability to be a citizen of a great country. That's what we want. Now, we have fought internally. We've fought wars, the Civil War that we fought about ideas that we didn't agree with. And yet when it was over, we all came together and we're like, okay, uh, there are things I don't like about what happened, but we're going to come back together and we're going to be one nation. And there's still people that don't like some of the things we decided to do. And there's still people that are fighting about that 150, 160 years later. There are also people that are currently in this country that don't like what we're doing. They've come to this country to try to change it. And some of them have tried to change it internally. There's a lot of teaching that goes on in colleges and universities that's rather anti-American, that doesn't stand up for the rights and responsibilities of a citizen. As a matter of fact, they think we probably shouldn't have any, that we should all be part of one government internationally, that we shouldn't be a sovereign nation. Now, I'm getting a little ahead of myself because coming up in the next week or so, I'm going to start talking about 10 things that I think we ought to agree on 
as a nation and as citizens of this nation so that we're not focusing on the negative all the time. We're focusing on the positive. These are the things that we ought to agree on. And I realize not everybody's going to agree on them, but I want to mention them. and I'll lay them out for you next week. But one of them is the sovereignty of the nation. Well, we have seen that there are people in the political sphere in this country that are elected individuals that don't like the way that our government operates. Okay, and that's on both sides. There are people on the right that are conservatives like myself that don't like the way the government operates, and I think rightfully so. We try to tell too many people in too many countries across the world what to do, and then we give them money to coerce them. We see the fallacy of that in this country in that when you start putting national money into your local school system, for instance, now you've got national identity on your local school system and where it's all right to be an American and to wave the flag and be proud and patriotic of who you are. I don't know that it's a good idea for somebody in Washington, D.C. to decide what they're going to teach in, uh, let's say, uh, Watertown, North Dakota or South Dakota. They're not going to, they don't know. They're farmers out there. They're not living in a big city. They don't know what to do. Nor do we hear, for that matter, in Pickerington, where I live, Pickerington, Ohio. We don't know. They don't know what's best for us here. That needs to be local, but it's been pushed off and pushed off and pushed off to the national level where it gives fewer people more ability to change policies and to change people's minds. And so when I was talking to this friend of mine about the Electoral College, she didn't know why it was there. And I said, well, let me explain to you why it's there and why it's in place. So do you know how the government is elected? And she said, well, yeah, I mean, I vote. And I said, do you know how it was originally designed? And she said, no, I I don't have any idea. She knew I was getting the point. I'm, uh, you know, Dad Terry, and she's like, okay, you're going to tell me something, and I want to hear it. And so I said, okay, here's the way that it ran. The House of Representatives was to be elected by the people, and it was to be elected every two years, so there was a fairly constant turnover in that body. And it's wound up where there are a lot of people staying there for a long, long time, but there's a fairly good con- a fairly good turnover every two years in that. The Senate, on the other hand, was appointed by the legislatures of the individual states, and each state got two. So if you wanted to appoint senators, you had to be in charge of the state. And so it made the state elections more important than they are now. For instance, did you ever wonder why we have a state senate and state uh, legislature here in Ohio, for instance, or Indiana or Kentucky, wherever? Well, yeah, it's to come up with laws. But the other reason was that originally those legislatures were designed to appoint senators to the national government, and they were to represent represent the ideas of the states and to be representatives of the states. And then the presidency was a hybrid of those two things. The Electoral College is the total number of representatives from each state. So I don't really know in Ohio. I think we've got 15 Electoral College members, 13 uh, from the House of Representatives, two from the Senate. Now, they're not the representatives and the senators. They're people that are elected to that position, but the number equals. Some states, like let's say North Dakota, that has one representative and two senators has three votes in the electoral college states like california that have 45 representatives and two senators might have 47 votes in the electoral college so that's how that works but it was hybrid between the direct election like we have in the house of representatives 
and the separate election that we have the appointment by the state legislatures of the senators. Well, in 1913, so a little over 100 years ago, uh, Woodrow Wilson and the, the government was in place at the time, the progressives that were there at the time, decided it would be a good idea to have state elections of senators done away with, and now it's going to be direct elections. So a senator has to run not to the legislature, but he has to run to the entire state. Now, some people are like, well, that's much more fair. But there was a reason, I believe, that the founding fathers put the senators in that position. It's because the senators now are are accountable to the same people that the House of Representatives is, just a larger group of them. So we have, I don't know how many people live in the state of Ohio. What is it, 20 million, 18 million, something like that. So we've got two senators representing that many people. Well, they have to appeal to a majority of those two people. So Senator Vance, Senator Brown, both have to appeal to the majority of uh, those people. Well, okay, what did they have to appeal to before? They had to appeal to the legislature. Are the senators going to carry out the wishes of the state legislature? Now, the legislature is supposed to represent the interests of the people of the state. They don't always, but they typically do because they're much closer. So I should know, for instance, our state senator here in Pickerington is Jeff Luray. I don't know him, but I could. I could probably find out where he lives. So it makes it that much closer. But if I want to get a hold of Mr. Vance, for instance, who is our newest senator or junior senator here in the state of Ohio, it's going to take me a while to do that. And I might be able to get a hold of him, but I'm going to get somebody in constituent services and I'll never get to talk to him. Well, he doesn't answer to anybody in the state, and I'm not saying to him or Mr. Brown either. I'm just saying they don't. They answer to all the voters in the state, but they really answer to no one group of people in the state. You kind of get the idea of what I'm saying is that it's not the way it was intended to be. So let's pretend that we do away with the Electoral College, and now you have the state of California, which is kind of a monolithic state as far as voting goes, uh, the state of New York, which is kind of monolithic in its voting goes, and the state of Illinois, which is kind of monolithic in the way its voting goes, now elect enough people in those three states that will vote get to elect the president. Well, we're going to have a president probably of one party forever. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think it's a bad thing, and there are people, and there's an argument to be made that we have a uniparty and that there's no real difference between the two and whatever. I get that. But I see the policies of one seem to be kind of pro-American. The other policies kind of seem to be, I don't know, pro-international government, pro-non-sovereignty, like we want to hand that over to somebody else. No, I don't want to hand it over to somebody else. I've got ideas and things that I want to do in this country that require this country to be sovereign. And again, we're going to talk about that in the 10 things that I think we ought to agree about as a nation starting next week on the podcast. But I wanted to get out here why the uh, Electoral College was in place and why it's necessary. It separates the presidency a little bit from the whim of a majority that operates a lot of times like a mob. And as a matter of fact, there have been several times in our history where the Electoral College has decided the presidency. I think it's been five times. Is that right? I think it's something like that. And there are people like, well, it should never happen again. And as a matter of fact, in the last three times that it's happened, it's tipped toward the Republican side, even though the Democrat has had more numbers. Um, 
the uh, the one well actually it's two times recently uh, Mr. Bush in 20 uh, in 2000 and Mr. Trump in 2016 and will we see that again I don't know I don't know what's going to happen but the understanding is that that's necessary that part of our government is necessary if you want a republic now if we want a democracy now we've got another problem so a democracy means all you have to do is convince 50% and one person that's all you have to do. So let's say you've got 20 million people in the state. You've got to convince, let's say there are 10 million voters, 10 million and one voters that this is the right way to go. Well, emotions can get into that. And yet when you have an electoral college, you have a little bit of a cushion, a little bit of a balance there where it says, no, we don't want to do it all that way. We don't want to be like the House of Representatives, again, which turns over a lot and we don't want to be like the uh, the old Senate that was until 1913 that was put in place by the state legislatures. Uh, there's an amendment that changed that in 1913. Well, good, bad, or otherwise, that's the way it is now. So you've kind of broken the first uh, one-third one of the three-thirds uh, way that we elect people is broken now and is not the way that it was set up hundred, you know, uh, 250 years ago. It's the way that it was set up in 1913. And I think there are problems with it. I think it's a bad thing to remove any state influence from the national government. And let me make one more, uh, one more observation about that is that of course, states have governors and of course, states have legislatures and they have representatives in Washington that are, uh, that are there for their states. But there aren't many states, there are probably some, but there aren't many states that spend the kind of money that companies like Ford and Microsoft and um, Facebook and um, the, the companies that like McDonnell Douglas that do a tremendous amount of lobbying actually probably have more influence than the legislators do, than the House of Representatives and the Senate. They can manipulate, they do. I remember reading one time that Microsoft at one time spent about 50000 a year in Washington until they found out how good it was if they spent a million. Now they spend millions of dollars a year manipulating the government, getting people to do the things they want them to do. And frankly, that's the way it works. Like it or not, that's the way it works. And there's a problem if you remove the Electoral College, you're going to have even more of that across the country. And now you're going to have people that campaign in maybe the 10 largest cities in the country and they leave out, you know, they don't have to go to Iowa. They don't have to go to New Hampshire. They don't have to go to Vermont. They don't have to campaign in any of those places because now they're the representatives of the majority that live in the cities that are voting for them. I don't like that idea. And I don't think we should like that idea. I don't think it should be an idea that's passed around, but there are certain cultures in this country. It's like, we need to get rid of that electoral college because we're not getting what we deserve. Oh, I didn't know it was about that. I thought that living in this country was about being an American, not getting what I want, not dipping my hand into the treasury every three weeks. <clears throat> that's all I'm going to say about that. Well, I appreciate you indulging me a little political talk this time. Next time, I want to talk about the 10 things that I believe that we need to concentrate on as citizens. And I'm going to list them for you, but then I'm also going to talk about them over two or three podcasts about how I think these affect us. And I think you'll find it interesting. I did some thought and did some prayer about them to come up with some ideas about things that we can agree on, things that we can agree on as citizens. 
I appreciate you listening. Our website is quizthatis.com. You can reach me at terry at quizthatis.com. I look forward to hearing your questions and comments, whether you agree with me or not. Would you take a moment and rate our podcast where you get it and let your friends know about us? And remember, God has a plan for your life and for your nation, and we're here to help you find it. The Quiz That Is podcast is produced by Prosper Leadership. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe and let your friends know about Quiz That Is. Quiz That Is.